they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were greatly afraid. Fear in the Christmas season. Then the angel said to them, it's interesting, the angel of the Lord came to them and the light that shone from the angel caused them to be afraid and the thing that made them afraid said to not be afraid. Do not be afraid. As a matter of fact, not only do I not want you to be afraid, please understand I bring the exact opposite of fear to you. My presence that has elicited fear, this moment that has engendered some sense of even terror on this seemingly normal night, my presence actually is a presence that brings you good tidings of great, and you know the word, great joy, which will be to, to all people. Joy. Just a few words about joy this morning. Um, I suppose it's uh, in recent decades there has been this effort by therapists and spiritual leaders and rabbis and preachers, people who are in the spiritual sciences or the science of metaphysics and God. Um, there has been this teasing out of the difference between happiness and joy. And you probably have all read something in Guidepost magazine or Newsweek or seen something on YouTube about the difference between happiness and joy. Uh, the reality is, if you just go to the dictionary, the dictionary doesn't really do this for us. The words are practically synonyms, if you're just looking strictly at semantics. Happiness, a feeling of pleasure or contentment. Things are not only pleasing and good, but I feel that emotionally. Things can be good in your life and you're still not happy if you're not feeling that and sensing that. But Happiness is that wonderful moment when not only are things good, but I feel that things are good. I have that sense. Joy, from the dictionary, is a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. Joy, pleasure. Webster said, joy is the emotion evoked by the well-being, success, or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one dreams. So really the dictionary doesn't help us. The dictionary essentially says joy is happiness and happiness is joy. But the point I think we're trying to tease out in parsing these words, and words are just that, all language is metaphor and so a word is whatever you intend it to mean. But this teasing out of the difference between joy and happiness I think it comes down to this. We're trying to tease the, out the difference between a positive emotional state of being that is directly related to circumstances in my life and the ability to have some sense of well-being that is deeper and not dependent upon my circumstances. And, and so that's what we've done with those two words in the spiritual setting. 
And I think preachers have even tried to prove that the word joy in the original Greek and its use in the New Testament is a deeper thing than happiness. And that may be true. It may not be true. I haven't. I, I did a bit of a study this week on that, and I didn't find that really to be that significantly true. But I think it is true. And I think it's recognizable for all of us that we know what it is, whatever you call it, to feel essentially good and content because circumstances afford that. And I don't know that we all have experienced this, hopefully we have, but we all know at least that it exists. This ability to have some sense of peace, some sense of contentment, some sense of well-being that may not surface appear and may not infiltrate what we call positive emotions and is absolutely not dependent upon circumstances. These definitions are generally attached to the words happiness and joy as we're trying to do this teasing out, happiness being the former and joy being the latter. If happiness and sadness are emotions on the surface, then what we have said is joy and sorrow are emotions down at the substrate, down at the deep places of our soul. Happiness is to joy as sadness is to sorrow. I remember talking to my grandmother, my dad's mom, about this concept, not the teasing out of these two words, but I asked her late in her life, I asked her what was her greatest sorrow, and she who had borne 15 children, isn't that amazing? 15 kids, no twins. She had babies for 27 years. First one in 1927 and the last one in 1954. Four decades the woman was having kids. She was five feet tall, 130 pounds, and my dad was the 12th born, and he was the first one born at the hospital. She was a tough broad, I'm telling you. By the time I knew her, man, if a wasp stung her, she just flicked it off like a mosquito. No big deal to her. She was immune to pain. She was also a brilliant, brilliant woman. And I asked her, oh, the other thing, Pete, when I say I, my dad's one of 15 kids, they always say Catholic, and I always say, no, Northeast Arkansas. <laughs> um, dad was 10 pounds and 11 ounces. He was one of the smaller of the 15 gestational diabetes, two weeks post-term, no prenatal care, doc, and she just had big sugar babies, you know, and I asked her late in life, I said, what was your greatest sorrow? She said, hands down, hands down the loss of children. She went through that unnatural process. She lost five children to the grave before she moved on. And I'll never forget, she, she said, in the beginning of the loss of each child, she said, in the beginning, I was completely paralyzed emotionally. And she said, but over time, by the grace of God, the paralysis yields to a wheelchair, psychologically, uh, of course. The paralysis and the bedriddenness of soul yields to a wheelchair, and the wheelchair eventually yields to crutches and the crutches to a walker and the walker to a cane and then the cane is removed but there's always a limp and it may even move to the place where the limp is discernible to no one but the limp ever abides and so my question to her was about her deepest sorrow and that was 
so beautifully. She had a third grade education, but she was a poet laureate of those little gravel roads outside of Perigold, Arkansas. My question was, what was your greatest sorrow? But I, I'll never forget, she said, but the greatest sorrow was born of my greatest joy because they were also my greatest joy. And of course that makes sense. And as I always say, the depth of the valley is measured by the height of the mountain, of course. Our greatest sorrows and our greatest joy. And she said somewhere in the mingling of that limp that may be indiscernible or undiscernible to others but is still recognizable to me, in that limp she said it's not only pain but she said I hold their memory in pain. And she says the joy and the sorrow have a way of strangely mixing together until you can scarcely tease out which is which. Deep and abiding things. Not surface happiness and surface sadness, but deep down to the tears and the laughter of things. There is this spiritual thing called joy that we all long for. It's a, it's a mix of faith and contentment, a little bit of happiness sprinkled in, a whole lot of hope, and, and a sense, as Julian said, of eventuality, that, that things aren't well, but all manner of things shall be well. Joy is that substrate of the ocean floor that no matter how turbulent and how tall and how white capping the waves are, th there's a place that the fish can go down, down, down. And, and an ocean that is wrecking huge vessels 60, 70 feet below, there's stillness. Do not be afraid, the angel said, and to coin the usage of the modern preacher, do not be afraid because I am not bringing you tidings of happiness today. I'm bringing you tidings of joy. In no way does this one born indicate that the surface will be completely still, the white caps dismissed, settled in no way is this one coming even his own mother even his own mother would lift him up as a baby to be dedicated in the temple and when old Simeon looked at her he said this is going to be a baby that brings peace to the world but hear me dear lady the sword that pierces his side will pierce yours as well the sword that weaves its way into his flesh one day, will weave its way into your soul. He will be your greatest joy. And he will be your greatest heartbreak. I bring you good tidings of joy. That down, 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 there is a stillness of hope and faith. There is a conviction of wellness. C.S. Lewis wrote an incredible book, uh, called Surprised by Joy about his journey to Christian faith and faith in God as an agnostic. And I, I have forever been startled and wrestled Lee with his definition of joy. Lewis, this great literary scholar turned amateur theologian. And I want to say this about C.S. Lewis. He was one of the great theologians of the 20th century and he was not trained in theology. He was trained in literature. For all of us in the Bible Belt, this is very important. Lewis understood theology because he was an expert in literature. And he brought a unique approach to Scripture. He understood 
this medium of the Bible. It's amazing to me that evangelicals love him so much because his sensibilities were quite progressive and liberal, but he had a way of cherishing scripture and yet understanding it as a medium. He was a literary scholar, and I love him. He was also an incredibly brilliant man that had a way of coining a phrase like no other. And Lewis said that joy is the unsatisfied desire or the unsatisfied longing for home. And by home, he's not talking about going to heaven one day. He's talking about the beloved community that exists at the core of every soul, that, that place where God dwells, that Henry Nouwen said he ran from his entire life only to hear God one day call him to come home. And when Henry cried, where is home? God said, why, Henry, it's your own heart. I've lived here since you were born. Lewis said that the journey of life is such that joy in the journey is the unsatisfied longing for home that in its unsatisfaction is more satisfying than any other satisfaction the world can afford. Now that's a mouthful. I'm going to say it again. Joy is the unsatisfied longing for home that in its unsatisfaction is more satisfying than any other satisfaction the world can afford. The exquisiteness of longing. He, he related it to the, the German idea, the German romantics called Seinsuk. This idea that human beings carry within them the ability to remember not simply minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years, but we carry within us, embedded within our divine genetic, we carry within us memories of centuries and millennia. This is not talking about specifically the transmigration of soul, although it can be, and many of you believe in that. Um, I don't know why that's always been such a bothersome idea for people in the Christian world, because we certainly believe eternity can extend this way in the soul. I don't know why it couldn't extend that way, but that's a mystery that you can wrestle with. That's not the point of this message. But the German romantic said Saint Souk is this longing, this deep embedded longing the Judeo-Christian trek would call it a longing for Eden on one side and a longing for the New Jerusalem on the other side, but a longing for stillness, a longing for repose, a longing for, and I'm thinking about it, I prayed about it a while ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, and um, they're here today, but I'm thinking about a letter that I received from someone in this congregation that has really never known scarcity, but the loss of a job this year has put them in a place and it touches me just to hear this dad, a friend, pouring out his heart about the absence of things this Christmas and, and telling me he knows it's silly and he knows that it's ridiculous because nobody's starving, but the idea of having to explain to his kids that Christmas wouldn't be the same as it's always been. Boy, that's tough. Does the angel of the Lord and does the presence of Jesus have anything to say to that soul? Is it realistic to say, Dad, you don't have to be afraid and, and, and maybe you can be afraid. Maybe you can be frustrated. Maybe... Maybe the white caps don't have to settle. Maybe things don't have to be righted. Maybe the, sh 
maybe joy is this thing so deep in our soul and so embedded in us as the presence of God that joy can do something happiness can't do. Because I'll tell you about happiness. Happiness is fleeting and transitory. For me, happiness can be the taste of a drink or it can be months of prosperity. Happiness comes and goes. But I, I do know this, happiness for me never holds space well with anger and rage and sadness and grief and all of the other negative emotions. It just can't. When those things come, happiness just goes. But joy, the spiritual teachers tell us, is deeper than that. Joy digs its feet in. Joy hunkers down and around the campfire in the cold. It holds space with anger. It doesn't try to resolve it. It holds space with tears. It it wraps itself in the sinew of a dislocated hip that will forever cause limping and will forever remind of love and absence and its vacancy reminds of presence because the outline of that absence is the outline of what was present and in a strange way still is. Joy recognizes that good and bad run on parallel tracks and they generally and quite often get there about the same time in your life. Joy realizes what happiness can't, that the wheat and the tares, Jesus said, grow together and their roots become so enmeshed and tangled into such a snarl that scarcely only the divine hand could ever detangle them but the divine hand wouldn't because Jesus said leave the wheat and tares alone when you start yanking on the tares to get all the bad stuff out Jesus said you'll find that they're so wrapped up Chris with the good stuff that it might harm the good stuff no wonder Paul said all things work together okay I, I don't want them to work together I want the bad stuff over here, over here. Paul said the, the bad and the good work together. They, they, they tangle up there. Happiness is a passing experience of minutes and months. Joy is a worldview. It's deeper. It's deeper than a personality. It's deeper than a bubbly personality or a melancholy personality. It's a, it's a worldview. Joy is not the shingles or the windows or the roof of the house that can get blown away. Joy is the substrate. Joy is the foundation, the bedrock. It's what everything else in your life can rest on with stability. Jesus one day said, there are two ways to build a house. And he said, matter of fact, in his little parable, he said, two men built a house, and one built a house on shifting sand, and the other built a house on solid rock. And what a testimony to what life truly is. Jesus said, and then the rain fell. I, I don't know about you. I literally grew up believing that if I loved Jesus and lived right and was a part of the right church and believed the right things, that it changed the climate. I, I thought... I thought there was a whole world of people who lived in tsunamis and tornadoes and hailstorms, and then there were others of us that lived over here, Dale, and we did the right things and loved Jesus, and it just, we just had this perfect climate. And, and that's not what Jesus said at all. He said that two people, they built their lives completely differently. 
And, and he said, interestingly, the way they built their lives had nothing to do with the climate because the rain fell and one didn't get more than the other and one didn't get less than the other. They both got the same weather. The difference in these two lives wasn't the weather that they endured. The difference in their lives was the ability to sustain. Happiness is shifting sand, I think we're trying to say. And when it's shifting and it's good, enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it, but don't count on it. Joy can sustain, my grandmother said, the deepest grief. Joy can support the happiest celebration. Joy is unlike happiness because joy can accommodate whatever life brings. Remember the late author Agatha Christie. It's so simple, but I remember I pulled it up this morning. Agatha Christie said, I like living. I have sometimes been wildly, despairingly, acutely, miserable, racked with sorrow, but through it all, I still know quite certainly that just to be alive for me is a grand thing. I love the simplicity of that. Racked with sorrow, but through it all, I still know that's joy. Joy, joy is the tether that allows you to enter the raging river, and as scary as that raging river can be, Joy is the harness and tether around my waist, tethered to a rock on shore that tells me, no matter how hard this is, Shannon, I am not going to be swept away here. I may be swept a long way downstream. I may be banged against several rocks. I may feel fearful that I'm going to drown. But the harness reminds me. Joy gives me the ability to grieve with my whole being and yet not be destroyed. Joy is the bedrock underneath my disappointments, my anger, even my rage at times. Joy is my deepest, deepest home that allows me to follow that raging river, that allows me to move into the midst of my disappointments, my betrayals, my bankruptcies, my unremitting illness, the loss of a dream, whatever it is for you, Joy is the deepest home that is always there waiting for you to return. No matter what it is in your life this Christmas season that is taking you down, 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 down. Down is not necessarily an awful place to go because ultimately, as we say in the 12-step world, the direction of downness can lead you to a rock bottom and a rock bottom is not necessarily a bad thing a rock bottom is that place where your feet get grounded in the midst of the pain and you feel something firm to look up from and at that bedrock I do not believe joy is something we have to ask God for I believe joy is something we were created with I do not think the spiritual journey is about divining the heavens and causing God or asking God to give these virtues and these sentiments to us. I actually think the spiritual journey is an inward journey. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said the kingdom's not out there and it's not up in the heavens. It's inside of you. And I truly believe in the heart of every person, deeper than personality, deeper than circumstance, I believe in the belly of every person's soul. There is joy. 
I think about him, the one whose birth caused such fear in so many hearts, it stirred things up in so many ways, his life did the same, but I think about him who promised us joy, and I think about him as he made his way toward the cross. The Bible says that he washed the feet of his 12 disciples and then one of them went off to betray him and broke his heart and he left those 12 and he went with 11 to a place and after being there in that space with those 11, what a word picture of the journey of every soul. The masses down to the 70, the 70 down to the 12, the 12 reduced to the 11 and then the Bible says he took from that 11, Lee, he took three and they went a little further with him. You have those closer familial you know, groups and he took the three and he went to a, a, a place that was called an olive press, Gethsemane, and he set them at a place and the Bible says he himself then went a little further. And that's a scary place. That's a scary moment when you finally realize that you have gone even past those who are most intimately connected to you there is a place that even the one most intimately connected with you can't go. There's always this last part of the journey. And, and so many of us are so scared of that, the aloneness of that, the, the work of that. Uh, Frederick Buechner said, we don't like silence because it says too much. And I think that's the same with aloneness. We don't like being alone because we have to be with ourselves. But he went a little further and he set the three there and he said, would you just watch with me? People always say he asked them to pray. He didn't even ask them to pray in the beginning. He said, would you just watch? Would you just, from a distance with some sense of decency and nobility, just, you can't fix anything from me, just watch me here. That's something. Watch my heart. If, just to know somebody. You can't share it. You can't do it. Just to know somebody's watching. And the Bible says he went a little further and he fell on his face. That's an amazing thing. He fell on his face and he was in incredible anguish, the scripture said, until knowing like king in Memphis, looking at a mountaintop, he would never fully, he would never fully actualize the vision of Jesus in agony prayed and said, please, please don't let this be the end. Please don't let it happen this way, please. Scripture, metaphor, poetry, legitimate medical science, we don't know, but it points to something more real than any of that. When the Bible says in the middle of that, his heart broke and he began to sweat to the point it was like great drops of blood. And whether that's cardiologically, physiologically possible or not, I don't know, but I know it was expressing a level of anguish that was so severe, the Bible said, that an angel even had to come down and comfort him. And in that puddled mess of Gethsemane, an angel cradling him, his body bloodied and sweaty and his heart broken and him whimpering, please, with friends, not watching. But the Bible says that he came back to them and he found them sleeping. The Bible says after waking them up in that place, Jesus looked and he whispered to them, <laughs> He whispered to them, peace I leave with you. 
my peace I give to you. And I look at him in that place and I think, you want to give me that kind of peace? And a bloodied and battered soul, the surface of whose life was torrential and tormented, said there is a peace, there is a joy. Those words are almost synonymous in the Greek. A joy so deep in the bedrock that Jesus, through those rocky waters, could whisper, I would like to give this to you. And so I just wanted to say as I close and bring up uh, some folk who are really a word picture of what I'm trying to say today, some dear friends from Thistle Farms. I'm so proud of my friend Becca Stevens and the work that she's been doing here for the last quarter of a century in Nashville. I'm thrilled that she's being recognized as one of the top 10 CNN heroes of this year. And her work, Thistle Farms, is a perfect illustration a perfect testimony to what I'm trying to explain here today. But I just want to say to all of you, those who have more money than you can spend this Christmas and the tree decked out to the hilt and life is good, and to those of you that are wrestling with no job and how to explain things to your kids and maybe even facing a divorce and bankruptcy and even possibly one person in this church is towing the threshold of terminal illness. I just want to say to all of you, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And I want to say to you, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great happiness. Maybe, maybe not. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. By our definition today, I don't think the angel could have promised great happiness to everybody, but I think the angel can promise great joy. And I feel stable, comfortable, and I feel confident to tell you, great joy is for you all. Can you say amen? To that end, I would love for our friends from Thistle Farms to come, and I want them to share with us, share with us an incredible, an incredible work that is going on here in our city. Melissa, why don't you come and take it from here? We just gonna watch a video, okay? Thistle Farms residential program is called Magdalene. They're two-year homes where women can stay for free without any authority living in the house. It's a simple model, but it's critical for survivors of trafficking, addiction, and prostitution to have both space and time to heal. We figured out when the women came that they were doing great work in their recovery and making restitution with the courts and their families. The problem was they were still dirt poor, and that's why we started Thistle Farms, the bath and body care company run by the women. We've also diversified the social enterprise. So we have this cafe, we have the studios, 480 retail outlets, and 18 global partners. You know, I walked a 10 block radius for well over 20 years and I could not find a way out. Um, and I was just trapped, I had lost all hope. I was in a dark place. I came from molestation, I came from um, running away at the age of 15 um, and found my way um, using drugs. 
and that took me for a whole loop. Um, I became homeless. I've been arrested 87 times. Um, I lost custody of my kids. And I was just lost and bitter, looking for hope. The women who come into Thistle Farms share a universal story around sexual violence and assault that they've really carried on their individual backs. On average, the women that we serve are first rate between the ages of 7 and 11, and they hit the streets between the ages of 14 and 16 years old. I used to use for 15 years. Um, I stayed in one facility. Uh, None of the women we serve in the community of Thistle Farms ended up on the streets by themselves. It takes a bunch of broken systems and communities that really roll out a red carpet for the women to find their way into being runaways, to being trafficked, to being addicted, to being jailed, to being prostituted. So it makes sense that it takes communities to welcome the women home and provide the resources and provide a place to restore all of us into a community together. What's different about Magdalene is you don't have to pay a dollar or anything when you first walk through the door. They help me with all my needs, like uh, hygiene, uh, dental, uh, food, uh, clothes, a ride. Um, they help me really get back on track. It was very difficult to get a job because of my police background, and they hired me. They let me work the register and, and be accountable for money. They let me go to the bank. Um, but they allow me the opportunity to develop job skills. And they did not ask me, what, what did you do? They asked, what happened to you? You made me cry. Oh. <laughs> the best thing about my life is today is um, that I lost my kids, and so I have four grandkids, and so the things that I wasn't able to do for my kids, I'm able to do for my grandkids. Like, go to the PTA meetings, show up for lunch, drop them off at school, just to hear them say, uh, Nanny, can you help me with some homework? Even though I might not know, because <laughs> I've been out of school for so long. And they love us till we're able to love ourselves. For 20 years, We've been a witness to the truth that love is the most powerful force for social change in the world. It is that way because people want to hope with us. They want to do this work with us. And we welcome you to the circle. Rachel, um, and this is Phyllis. Uh, this is, we both work at Thistle Farms. Uh, just to kind of tell you a little bit about Thistle Farms, uh, Becca Stevens, she opened a home, one home for five women 20 years ago um, in Nashville for uh, five women coming off the streets from prostitution, addiction, incarceration, uh, trafficking, and um, it has grown to now five houses. We house up to 30 women. Um, so from that one house, she then started Thistle Farms, a place for the women to go and work 
She started out with one candle and one body balm. Um, it started in a little church on a stove. Um, and now there are, I think, about 30, 30 women employed there. And we have over 40 products now. Um, we, uh, Becca, she's an Episcopal priest. She is an author. She goes all around the country speaking about Thistle Farms and recovery and um, love and community and what it does for women. And we go, we travel with her and we sell products. Um, so that's just a little bit about what Thistle Farms is. And I myself, I've been in the residential side for almost two years now. Um, I'll finish in February. Phyllis uh, just finished her two years. And um, I found out about Thistle Farms from when I was in jail. I spent a couple years in jail myself. Um, I'm from Nashville. I grew up here. And um, I myself come from a really loving family. I had um, a very wonderful childhood, uh, two parents, a wonderful home. But at an early age, I started just, you know, getting into drugs. And um, from that point on, it just took me down a very uh, destructive path for almost 20 years. I've been in countless treatments, relapse, um, started breaking the law, in and out of jail, the everything, the lifestyle that drugs brings. Um, towards the end of my addiction, I started seeing a lot of people die. I mean, uh, a lot of my friends have um, died right in front of me from overdoses, and I didn't. I didn't. I don't have. I don't know why, but I stayed alive. And then. Um, I ended up in jail for a long time. Um, while I was in jail, I had lost everything, lost my home, lost my dog, lost uh, all my family relationships. I've had a lot of physical destruction from uh, drugs. And um, so I had nowhere to go. I had nothing left. I was completely lost. And I was sitting in jail and um, one of the original graduates from the residential side, she came and spoke to a group of us. And from that point on, I started calling Thistle Farms. And we have a very long waiting list. So I started calling that waiting list. And the day I got out, I went directly to um, Thistle Farms residential. Um, and I haven't looked back since. I, uh, I think a big part of it was I was able to kind of go directly into a very loving, very safe uh, environment that provides just lots of support, lots of unconditional love. I wasn't asked of anything, uh, just rest and heal. And um, I haven't looked back since. Um, and um, I've been clean now for over two years. I've been out of jail for over two years. <laughs> I, uh, I've been with this one for over two years. She was my roommate when we first met, or when I first got there. She has been my roommate ever since. <laughs> and um, we come from 
um, very different backgrounds, but we're very much the same. We have the same story. We have the same pain. We have the same suffering. And it, that's, I think, what is Thistle Farms does is we're all the same. We're not any different than anybody else in this room. No matter what it is, whether it's addiction or prostitution or a priest or any suffering, anything that's going on, um, we all share that pain and that sorrow, but we can also share the love and the healing that can go along with it. You know, I think like I lived for so long with lots of shame and guilt from what I was doing to myself, and I was hiding and I was running for so long, um, but I was just running for myself and running from the world, but um, everybody has taught me you don't have to run. You don't have to feel ashamed. It's just your story, just your story, and everybody has a story. And so when I finally stopped running and traumatizing myself, then healing began. And, um, and I don't feel ashamed anymore. I don't feel scared anymore to talk about it because everybody I'm around, they've done the same thing. So we can all kind of share that. And um, so that's a little bit, like, a little bit about me. And um, so I, I went from having nothing to um, able to uh, have my license. I got my license back. I got a car. I work full-time at Thistle Farms, and I'm saving money. I'm on the manufacturing team. I travel the country with Becca, sharing the message of love. And... Um, and then I think the most important relationship that I'm working on right now is the one with my dad. Um, my dad was traumatized by my addiction really bad. He was um, very enmeshed in my sickness and trying to save me. And um, it was killing him just as much as it was killing me. So when I went to jail, he cut all ties with me for several years and started kind of going into recovery himself. Um, and he's an Al-Anon, and he goes to Families Anonymous. And um, he's back in my life, though. I, I slowly has come back into my life. We've celebrated our first holiday together in several years this past Thanksgiving, and it was wonderful. And we're on this journey together um, of healing. And we're on our own journeys, but we're able to do it together. And I wouldn't change any of this for the world. Um, before I kind of talk about some of our products, do you want to share something? <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. These are not tears of sorrow. These are tears of joy. You couldn't have told me that I'd be up here two years ago, sleeping in my car when I didn't have to. But shame and guilt kept me out there on the streets to where I didn't want to go home. Uh, left my kids for 15 years. I loved them dearly. God has kept their hearts open for me. They still call me mom. And I don't think... Uh, 
the thoughts that I had on the streets using, used to tell me my kids don't love me. Uh, they used to tell me that, that they thought that I didn't love them. But through this program and attending meetings, my kids attend with me. They're grown now. One's 28 and the other's 22. And I'm 52, y'all. And I have a six-year-old grandchild. They go to meetings with me. So they've learned, out, learned about my sickness. And they don't hold me accountable for that. It took me three to four years coming in and out of Narcotics Anonymous to find that it wasn't me. It, so now that I have accepted that, I don't let shame and guilt keep me anymore. I'm not in bondage anymore. These are tears of joy. I just want to share with everybody in some kind of way. You're looking at a woman, a woman of trauma. And for the rest of my life, I'll be in therapy, but that's okay. That's okay. Oh, it's been a time in my life where I couldn't come up here and just spoke to you all like this. I was scared to come outside once I got clean. That's where trauma had took me to. I've seen things. I've been places that nobody should have to go and do, but because of my disease, that's where it took me. And I wasn't raised like that, you know? So, Oh, love does heal. It does heal. Thank you. <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, and just to, and that's true about Phyllis. She could barely talk to me when we first met. She was so um, closed off and nervous. I'm so bubbly and talkative that I think it <laughs> I got on her nerves for a while, but <laughs> it rubbed off on her. Now she's coming out of her shell. <laughs> but um, just a little bit like about our products. Um, we, we light a candle. I think our candle is our most... Um, uh, our most important product that we make, hand make. Uh, we light a candle every morning in our meditation circle at work um, to just kind of start the day with each other in prayer and meditation. And we light this candle for those who are out there s still sick and suffering. Um, we light the candle for the baby that may be born into addiction without a choice in the matter. We light this candle for the man and woman who um, may take their first drug today and have no idea what they're getting themselves into. And we light this candle for anyone trying to find their way home, trying to find the light. We are the light. And that's what Becca preaches. That's what we try to preach and share the message that love does heal, loving unconditionally, loving wholly, love fully, love generously, love yourself, and I think above all, love each other. And so 
I encourage everyone to purchase a candle, light it in your own home, light it at your office, in your bathroom, wherever, and be that light for someone in your life, and be that light for each other and for yourself. And, um, and just remember that love is the most powerful force for change in the world. And thank you for having us. So at many of our retreats and often, you can remain standing, at many of our retreats and often in our services when people share testimony, we respond by saying the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And that's what we just had, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Yes, we are so honored that they're with us. The products, if you've never used Thistle Farm products, they are amazing. So buy something for yourself and buy gifts for others. We would love to close this service by praying together this prayer of Advent. Would you join me in saying this? God of all time, bless this season of Advent. May we recognize your presentness rather than merely scuttle to and fro of cooking and shopping, parties and glitter. For this season is a precious time of waiting, of hoping. May it be so. Have a beautiful week. We will see you all next week. Yes, bring your friends and family 9 and 1045. God bless you guys. <laughs>